0: it's January 26 this is the one-year Bible tour my name is David McAdam and I'm pleased to be your host as we read through the Bible during this year we are making our way through the Bible using the one-year Bible which apportions readings in such a way as to take us through all 66 books of the Bible once and the book of Psalms twice Each day we have a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, and both a portion from the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. The word Bible comes from the word biblion, which means a little book. And you might think, it's really not that little, it's one of the biggest books that you have in your collection. But it really is a little book when you consider the vast library that it contains and the unending source of illumination that it brings. As in a library, there are different types of literature, or what we call literary genres. For example, we have the poetry of the book of Psalms and Song of Solomon. We have the wisdom literature that contains the collection of pithy altruisms in the book of Proverbs. But the greatest portion of the Bible is historical narrative. This is what we find in the book of Genesis, Exodus, and the Gospels, to name a few, These books are not only informative as historical accounts, but they reveal deep truths for our instruction. The unfolding story of the history of Israel has been very dramatic. To whet your appetite for what we have in store in today's readings, we might use our imaginations to envision how the happenings in the book of Exodus would read as headlines in the daily news outlets. For example, Exodus 2, verses 11-15, Prince of Egypt, Wanted for Murder... Or Exodus 2.15, Pharaoh's adopted son avoids trial and retires from public life at the age of 40. Or Exodus chapter 2.21, Scandal! Celebrity marries daughter of Midian priest in private desert hideout. Or Exodus 3.1, Royal turns rural. Pharaoh's son, groomed for succession, chooses to be a shepherd. Or Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 417. Speech-impaired royal fears consequence of flubbed interview. What happens in Moses' life really is quite sensational. So let's jump into our reading from the historical narrative, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 22. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. One day, when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them, and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And god heard their groaning and god remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob god saw the people of israel and god knew chapter three now moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law jethro the priest of midian and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to horeb the mountain of god and the angel of the lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go on a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, He will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So let's recap. The word Exodus means departure. The book of Exodus describes how God provides a departure, a way out, an escape for the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. You recall that God had given Abraham the prophecy hundreds of years earlier, quote, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, And afterward they will come out with many possessions, in the fourth generation they will return here Genesis fifteen verses thirteen to sixteen. When we read the book of Exodus, it is important that we do not forget the big picture. We must keep the promise in view. For every scheduled departure there is a scheduled arrival. It is not enough to depart from the old life, we must fully enter into the new. It is not enough to escape your present bondage. It is not enough to know what we are saved from. We need to know what we are saved to. The Lord has a future in view. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. In Jeremiah 29.11 God provides deliverance from Egypt in order to bring His people into what He has promised for them in the future. The promise consists of the promised seed, Christ, and the promised land. The promised seed would bless all nations, and the promised land would be a place of fellowship where God promises to dwell among His people in a covenant relationship. Exodus 29:46, They shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The Lord brings them out of their bondage in Egypt, that he might bring them in to their inheritance. Exodus 15:17. You will bring them in, and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is called by God to be the leader and the mediator in the Exodus that he will provide for his people. God intends to use Moses as an example in 1 Corinthians 10.11. The Lord must do a work of deliverance within Moses before he can do a work of deliverance through him. The Lord must deliver Moses from reliance upon his natural strength, his cleverness, and his pride. During the first forty years of Moses' life in Egypt, we learn that he is brought up with the best that this world has to offer. He is a privileged son in Pharaoh's household. He is educated in the ways of the Egyptians. He is saturated in their values and their world view. His source of confidence and strength is in himself. He excels in that which is admired of men. He was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds according to Acts chapter 7, verse 22. But remember the words of our Lord Jesus toward the self-satisfied, self-sufficient, self-justifying religious professionals of His day. You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. In Luke sixteen fifteen, When Moses had grown up, He discovered that he was a hebrew he could not help but identify with the sufferings of his own people when he sees an egyptian beating a hebrew slave he looks this way and that and thinking that no one is watching he kills the egyptian and hides him in the sand moses was still living with a frame of reference of being seen of men instead of being seen of god while moses had looked this way and that he failed to look up to god Who knows all and sees all, he failed to recognize that there were others watching him. As leaders, it is important to know that there are those, whom you may not be aware of, that are watching you. And most importantly, we must remember that God sees our every move and motive. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account even that which we bury in the sand. In Hebrews 4.13. The next day, Moses, in his efforts once again to do God's work in his own way, seeks to settle a fight among two Hebrews. Instead of welcoming Moses' peacemaking initiatives, the Hebrew says, Who made you ruler and judge over us? It was clear that God had not yet appointed him to that task. How important it is to wait on God's timing and rely on God's strength. God's work must be done God's way and in His time. For the first 40 years of his life, Moses was full of himself. Although he was sincere, compassionate, and competent, he did not yet know God personally, neither was he submitted to Him. Soon Moses realizes that his sincere actions in the interests of his people did not have the desired effect. Pharaoh heard of his murdering the Egyptian and ordered Moses killed. During the next forty years, Moses is being emptied of himself. He is taken from the palace to the outback. The former prince of Egypt is now living in obscurity in the backside of the desert. He becomes a shepherd, a profession that is despised in Egypt, as we read in Genesis 46, verse 34. He who was once at home with royalty is now a stranger in a strange land. He who impetuously took matters into his own hands would soon become the meekest man on earth. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, he who was the pride of Egypt will become a humble servant of God, a shrub in the desert. The somebody has become a nobody. What a school the backside of the desert can be. We are often brought to a place where we can no longer depend on our status in society, our social network, our gadgets, our degrees, and bank accounts. We are weaned from all that which gave us natural self confidence. No one knows of your great possessions and accomplishments when you are separated from it all on the back side of the desert. Here one must learn to live a life of dependence. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is introduced to the one he is to become dependent upon. God was preparing him to be a leader in ways that he was not aware of at the time. He was being taught to lead like a shepherd. While he was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, Moses comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is the mountain range, and Sinai is the mountain. Here the Lord appears to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. Moses is astounded that the bush although enveloped in fire, is not consumed. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to look, he called to Moses from the midst of the bush, as he had called his ancestors with the double repetition of his name. He was to remove his sandals and recognize that he was standing on holy ground. What takes place is Moses' great commission. He feels totally inadequate for the task, but for each excuse that Moses makes of being empty of ability, the lord promises to be his supply this is how it is with the lord the bush did not fuel the fire the fire drew no strength from the bush the bush was merely a platform for the glory of god to attach itself to therefore if any bush boasts may its boast be in the lord in 1 corinthians 129 and 31 God uses very ordinary things and ordinary people in extraordinary ways if we're willing to stay humble and give Him the glory that He deserves. God introduces Himself to Moses and announces His name, I am who I am. He is the self-existent, self-sustaining, self-revealing, ever-living, everlasting God. He is eternal, ever and always. He is wisdom, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, all-holy God. God is revealing who he is to Moses. I am all that you will ever need me to be. More than a thousand years later, religious leaders would attempt to stone Jesus of Nazareth to death because he took this name to himself. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. We find that episode in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 58 to 59. Now let us turn to our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 10 through 27. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to peter and said does your teacher not pay the tax he said yes and when he came into the house jesus spoke to him first saying what do you think simon from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others and when he said from others jesus said to him then the sons are free however not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What we see here in our New Testament reading is that Jesus really is the Great I Am. He is the All-Sufficient One. The hymn writer wrote, All that I needed His hand has provided, great is thy faithfulness. The disciples failed to drive the demon from the boy who was bound in self-destructive habits, even throwing himself into the fire and the water. The reason they couldn't deliver this boy was the littleness of their faith. Jesus made it clear that by littleness he was not referring to the size of their enthusiasm, imagination, or confidence. He referred to a little mustard seed. The nature of the seed is to grow to something big far bigger than the seed itself. We need to focus on what the seed is designed to be and do. Our faith needs to be focused on the object of our trust. Faith in the Savior is saving faith. Jesus refers to focusing our faith on God's ability and will to accomplish what he has promised. This comes through prayer, discernment, and discipline, such as fasting. Fasting is only found in some manuscripts. Sometimes disciples end up focusing on principles or formulas or even using the name of Jesus without really focusing on the merits of Jesus himself. Warren Wiersbe writes, quote, "Faith like a mustard seed is living faith that is nurtured and caused to grow. Faith must be cultivated so that it grows and does even greater exploits for God." In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Verse ten and Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three, had the nine disciples been praying, disciplining themselves, and meditating on the word, they would have been able to cast out the demon and rescue the boy. End quote. That's from the Bible Exposition Commentary on the New Testament uh, by Warren Wiersbe, Volume One. Reading through the Bible is a great discipline for strengthening and focusing your faith upon Christ. Be encouraged, and watch your faith grow, and the mountains that the Lord wants to move will move. Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. This is addressed to the choirmaster according to the Doe of the Dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This psalm, Psalm 22, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, and it is quoted by Jesus on the cross. It gives us insight into his sufferings. You can compare these verses with Matthew chapter 27, verses 42 to 46. Jesus embraces the forsakenness of our condition, wounded for our transgressions. This psalm was written in the 11th century B.C. and describes details found in the torturous death by crucifixion invented by the Roman army many centuries later. Verses 1 through 20 prophetically describe Jesus' suffering. Notice verses 16 to 18. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Tomorrow, we will continue reading this psalm and its turning point in verse 21. From there, the psalm turns from reporting suffering to praise, echoing verse 3, yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now we turn to our reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 7-14, where we're getting fatherly instruction how to stay clear from deception and the seduction of the world system. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The writer of Proverbs is describing the consequences of turning from living by the wisdom from above. What is your attitude today towards discipline, teachers, instructors, or those in authority? Are you demanding your own way, living with your own interests at the helm? It leads to ruin, and it affects your relationships, as referenced by the assembled congregation. Let's take these truths to heart as we pray together. Gracious God, We look up to you, and we thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. We see how our sins have caused you grief and separated us from your holy presence. Thank you for embracing our plight, identifying with our sin, and bearing our punishment and shame upon the cross. We rejoice in the reconciliation provided by your Son, and can joyfully proclaim that He has done it, it is finished." May we enter into the goodness of what you have done and praise you in the midst of the assembly, listening to your voice, receiving your correction and instruction with a joyful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the one-year Bible reading tour. Our goal is to get you reading consistently, thoughtfully, prayerfully. Each year that I read through the Bible, I like to plow a little deeper, linger a little longer and appreciate more fully the scope of God's wisdom and the history of redemption. We want you to feel welcome to contact us with your comments, questions, prayer requests, and you can do so by sending an email to podcast at newlife.org. That address is podcast at newlife.org. And we want to remind you that many benefit from getting a daily email with a written copy of the commentary of each day's Bible readings with illustrations, maps, and charts. You can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. Again, all our resources are offered freely without charge. I do hope that you can join us on tomorrow's excursion as we continue to read through the Bible. And until that time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom. Peace be with you.